0: How many times in our lives have we felt like this? I'm throwing in the towel. What I'm trying to do is never going to make it. I tried that over there. That doesn't do it. Nobody's around to help me. I'm all by myself. That could be at home. That could be at school. That could be at work. That could be in your marriage. It can be whatever. I'm, I'm giving up. I'm just giving up. Now, I'm sure none of us have ever felt that way. Yeah, we're in church. Of course, we've all kind of felt that way. So I'm going to share with you tonight the principle the head of the, this whole thing, the title of this whole thing is God loves to encourage us. Now, discouragement is what makes us throw in the towel. That's what it is. And simply give up and move on to something else. Let me give you a few definitions that will help as we go through the teaching here in Acts chapter 9. Discouragement. Fear, loss of hope, disappointed, and loss of confidence. I can't do this. It'll never happen. Boom, boom, boom. Now, here is a key you need to understand because all the way through you'll see this. For a Christ follower, discouragement comes from wrong thinking. Remember, what we think we become. So if I'm thinking wrong, I'm gonna end up discouraged, throwing it in, no hope. Now, here's how that actually works Satan will say, Well, look at what you're in there. Man, God doesn't care about you at all. Well, that's wrong thinking. That's a lie coming from Satan who can only give us lies. When we get discouraged, as all of us do, we can be overwhelmed by the difficulties of life. Think of the changes that continue in our world. We've never experienced that before. Now, that's why when we can get discouraged because of all these things that are going on, that's why the Bible says simply this. It commands us to encourage one another. Let me give you the verse. You see it right on the overhead. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage, pay attention to these next two words, one another and build one another up just as you've already been doing. Now, Paul writes that. So he's writing to a church that the congregation, they're encouraging one another. And he says, keep it up, because discouragement comes. You never know where it's coming, and you never know the person next to you and down the, down the row where you're sitting. Who knows what happened? Just be on the lookout. Do what you need to do. Now, encouraging means this. Comforting. Exhorting. Come on, you can do that. God's with you. There's no question about it. Come on. I know you're struggling, but you can do that. Strengthening some one. Now, watch this. Satan loves to tear us down. God wants to use encouragement to build us up. Let's just picture tonight you have a little container of hope. What does Satan want to do? Well, he comes in with discouragement, and he drains the hope right out of our life. And then God comes, no, 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 no. And a friend comes to you and says, man, you look down. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine now. Uh, can, Can I pray for you? Sure, you can pray for me. And guess what happens? That container fills right up with what? Hope. That's the way it works. Satan likes to tear us down. And God wants to build us up. He wants to encourage us. Now, encouragement gives a person hope and courage to follow Jesus Christ. We need both of those. I need hope and I need courage. See, discourage no courage. I need that because life is often difficult. Romans 15, 4, Paul writes it. Look how he writes it. He just says it so clear. For everything that was written, now we're talking about the Bible, in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance, difficult word, and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Again, remember, for a Christ follower, if you're discouraged, you're not thinking right. So Paul says, hey, stay in the Bible. Understand, that's where you go to get your hope back. That's where the encouragement comes from, the word of God. And that's why I'm using all these scriptures for all of us. Now, as we go through this weekend, we're going to watch God encourage Saul, who eventually becomes Paul. In many, many ways, but this teaching is not just for Saul. This is for you and this is for me. All through here, I want to challenge you to watch where you're at. Are you encouraged? Are you discouraged? What's happening? Do you know about the one another? We'll talk about that. Here's what I know. I've been praying. For the last four or five days. You're going to leave. If you listen to God's word, not me, God's word, you will leave encouraged tonight. I don't care what it is. You will leave encouraged because God promises it and you're going to see it. So just think about that yourself. Don't turn to somebody else. It's you that needs to be encouraged. Now, when you see all of that, look how this works. This is kind of what a pastor does. Look what Paul writes. Romans 1.12. When we get together, we're even together now online, but next week we'll be online and together in the sanctuary. I want to encourage you, Paul is writing this, in your faith. That's what I'm doing tonight. Exactly. Through the scripture. The scripture builds up by faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I also want to be encouraged by your faith. You see, that's when I go and people will say, Pastor Mark, that sermon really helped me. And that just means you've listened. It's not me. It's God's word that builds us up. So pretend as you go, I want you to turn to a neighbor right now, wherever you're at in the home or wherever you're sitting and watching this or listening to it. Just turn to them and say this. I'm ready. Come on. I'm ready to be encouraged. Come on. Let's say it. I'm ready To be encouraged. We all are. Now, let's turn to Acts chapter 9. Verse 22. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful. And he baffled the Jews living in Damascus. After many days had gone by, these Jews, Jewish belief, not Christians, conspired to kill him. So, remember where we left off last week? Saul had been having private training with Jesus for three years. So, he comes back. He goes to basically Damascus again. And and when he's there, he had been proving that the Messiah was really the Messiah. And they didn't believe him. But now these unbelieving Jews have decided to simply murder Saul, let me ask you a question. I'm going to ask this quite often during the teaching. I can't tell you this for a fact, but I guarantee you, pretty much Saul is now discouraged. He was gaining in his teaching. He proved that the Messiah was absolutely their Messiah. But what do they want to do? Kill him. Well, that discourages like you and I would be discouraged. Look what happens in verse 24. Let me ask you a question. If God really cares about us, how in the world God's going to come through here? How is he going to bring encouragement back to Saul? Well, look at verse 24. But Saul somehow learned of their plan. And day and night they kept watch. These people that were going to kill Saul, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. We don't know how, but somehow God spoke to Saul and said, look, you better be careful. This group is coming after you. They're going to try to kill you. Now, look what happens in verse 25. It's powerful. But his followers, those were his new disciples It's amazing to me. Remember we talked about that he was growing in his teaching? Well, he wasn't just teaching. He was discipling young, brand-new believers who had never heard about Jesus before. So God says to Saul, be careful, and the word gets out, and his new disciples, look what they do in this verse, but his followers, his disciples, took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall so he can escape. Now, when you see that, wow, what happened to Saul's discouragement? He became encouraged because he knew these disciples didn't know how to do that. But God spoke to him and gave him the plan, and he went and he says, Guys, I need help. I don't want to, God is not through with me. I'm not going to die here. And they came to his rescue. Now, here's one thing I'm going to show you. Look at Swan overhead. God uses other Christ followers to encourage Paul or Saul and us. God uses other believers to encourage us. Just this morning, I had two different pastors contact me, one through a text, one through an email. And both of them said, Pastor Mark, we're praying for you this weekend. We're praying for your teaching. We're praying praying for the altar call. We're praying that you would let the Holy Spirit just speak through you. And uh, I wrote him back. Wow, thank you. You know what? I love to have people pray for me. Why? Because I'm just a guy. And very often, there's a lot of spiritual warfare on a weekend with all kind of things. But they called texted, did all of that, and I just wrote him back. Thank you, thank you so much. Well, that's exactly what's happening here. I was encouraged. I wasn't discouraged, but I needed to be encouraged because sometimes you and I, as things move on through the day, something comes up, but no, it's not been right. Their prayers have made me encouraged tonight. Now look at verse 26. He leaves Damascus, Saul does. And when he came to Jerusalem, He tried to join the disciples, the believers. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. Paul had been converted for three years, three years. And in Jerusalem, they heard about the conversion, but they didn't know much about it. And they're thinking, is this guy in here? And they're probably talking together. That's Saul. Do you remember what he did to Christians? Because these are the Christians who had accepted Christ. You remember what he did to Christians? He was killing them all over the country. He was jailing them. Maybe he's pulling one on us. And he wants to just see if we're really believing in Jesus. And he's going to kill all of us. So their their thinking was wrong. And what you you see Saul here, what in the world is he going to do? He comes to Jerusalem, and his disciples are thinking, this is a trap. This is a trap. Has he really changed, or is he going to have us arrested and put us in jail, just like he did to the other people? Now, what did he expect when he came back to a, a, a group of believers who believed in Jesus like he did? When he came back, what do you think he was when they say, we don't believe you? You've never really been changed. Well, he is once again discouraged. He says, man, I I, I thought this was going to be fantastic. Just celebrating. Look what happened to me. But you guys aren't interested. You don't trust me at all. So he's discouraged. Well, what in the world is God going to do now? Well, look at verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Now, remember, they had stayed, most of them, in Jerusalem. And he told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus Christ. So how in the world does Barnabas get in the world? Well, God spoke to Barnabas. He spoke to Barnabas, and basically he just said to him, by the way, Barnabas means son of encouragement. That's a great name to have. you want to name one of your children, that would be great. Uh, He he arranged for him to step in and come alongside Saul to comfort him. Remember, that's one of the words of, of encouragement, to comfort him. He came alongside him, and what he did, he went and vouched to these Christ followers Paul is real. He did have a real conversion experience with Jesus Christ. And you can trust his teaching, and you can trust him personally. Now, here's what I think is interesting. Notice, God tells Barnabas to go and encourage Paul. What did Barnabas do? He obeyed. Now, why would God tell him to do that? Because our title, remember, God loves to encourage us. Paul couldn't arrange that. God did. And here's the next part. You see it on the screen. We need to obey God when he tells us to encourage someone. You see, we have to be sensitive to the things of God. I mean, God could send an angel down to encourage us. Probably fighting us out of our mind first, but God normally uses people. We're the go between, between God and hurting people. So, as I said tonight, as you work through these weeks and all these things are changing and getting better and better and better, we need to be sensitive to the things of the Holy Spirit. Wow, that person's. They're complaining. They're having a difficult time. Man, it looks like they still don't have hope. Even though things are getting better, but they seem to be negative. Well, let the Holy Spirit encourage you. Go to them. Come alongside them. Speak words. Give them a scripture and encourage them. That's exactly what Barnabas did. That's what God wants you and I to do. Remember the key? Encourage one another. Now, so Saul... When he felt comfortable, he stays there and moves about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly, of course, about the name of the Lord. So Paul began to share boldly in Jerusalem. You know what his message would have been about? Hope. Hope. I have hope now. I've got it. I'm not discouraged anymore. So no doubt he moved again from discourage to courage. Now, here is interesting. Look at Paul writes this, Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another every few years. Is that what it says? No, most of us need it much more often than that. Probably not daily, but look at this challenge. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Let me just show you something. If we get in our walk with God... And we get discouraged and we keep discouraged and nobody comes to us. We're not reading the word. We're not seeing that it's, it's spiritual warfare and we just throw in the towel. Well, you have to be careful because if you do that, notice what it says here. We're to encourage one another because Satan wants to come and take our walk with God out of the picture. In other words, we just get so discouraged, we just give it up everything. It's not just something we're discouraged with. We just give up Christianity. Don't do that. Paul says, no, 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 no. You can't do that. Get your towel and get right with God. And that's why we need to be sensitive. Saul needed someone, and God sent Barnabas. Now, do you know there are 50 one another commands in the Bible? That's because we're a body. We're a family. All of us are family. Even not in this church. All Christians around the world, we're family. And we have all these commands from God. And that's one thing to remind you. If you are doing life alone, it doesn't work. You can't ever really be fulfilled. Because God made us to live together. It's not just a marriage, but it's a family of God. Now, if you're not connected, it's time to get connected. When we get back and start the small groups again, probably most of those will be in the fall. Just get yourself connected. Between now and then, find somebody. Have a cup of coffee with them. uh, Take them to lunch. Do whatever. And make sure that you're keeping yourself connected with other believers. Now, look at verse 29. So, Saul is doing great. He's sharing the gospel The people think everything's good. And look at verse 29. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews. Now, this is a different group. These are not the believers that finally accept him. These are Jewish people. For Greece, they don't believe in the Messiah. Look what it says. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews. But they are going to try to kill him. Now, think about this. Paul's bold sharing, because he's saying the same same message to these Jews. And it stirred up kind of a hornet's nest. You know how that can go. Among the unbelieving Jews, and they're going to try to kill him. Now, I want you to see, you remember the life of Joseph? The life of Joseph was like a roller coaster. Oh, man, what in the world? Well, this is what's happening. You can see that Saul is saying, not in a negative way, but God, really? I mean, I'm doing what you told me to do. I'm sharing the gospel, either with friends or people that I know that don't even believe about you. I'm doing what you're telling me to do. I'm going for it, and I got people trying to kill me every place. Can you help me? I'm discouraged. Well, when you see that, the answer simply comes. What's going to happen? He knows Saul is not dumb. He knows that Satan is trying to discourage him. Why? To quit sharing the gospel. That's the message. That's the mission of the church. So Saul, again, is discouraged when he hears he's going to be killed. Well, look at verse 30. Acts nine thirty. Now, when the brothers, the believers, learned of this, They took him down to Caesarea, coastal town, and sent him to Tarsus. So God is going to do two things. I never knew about this dream before. Never connected it. He's going to do two things. He's going to use other believers to make sure Saul doesn't get killed. But God is going to give Saul a dream on top of it to make double sure he doesn't get killed. Now, when the Christ followers heard about the plans to kill him, they took him to the seaport uh, at Caesarea. And from there, he went to his hometown of Tarsus, where he had been raised. And it will be in an area of Cilicia. And he will be there to share in the gospel to many of the towns for about eight to ten years. He has left Israel. He's in a different whole place. But let me just read to you out of Acts 22. You don't have to turn to her. I'll read it to you. Acts 22. This is the dream and the vision that God gave him when he entered Jerusalem. Saul, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance. So he's in Jerusalem. He comes and all of a sudden he gets a trance from God. And I saw the Lord speaking. Now, here's what God said to him in this trance, his dream. Quick, he said to me, leave Jerusalem immediately because they will not accept your testimony about me. Wow. God had two ways. He takes the Christians and gets him out of town and moves them to another whole country. And he is assured that this is going to work out because of that dream. Get ready, get ready. I'm sure he must have told those guys, I thank you that you're here right now. We got to go right now because, man, God told me it's going to happen. And so what happens? Here's what I want you to see. God loves and uses many ways to speak to us and to encourage us. You can't put God in a box. He can use all kind of ways. Why? Because God loves to encourage us. So use two different methods right there. Now, what about Saul? When he's on the boat ride and he's going home, what do you think he's doing? Where's that towel? I'm going to throw that towel in. No, baby, he's doing this. Yes! I'm going home. I'm going home with the gospel. I'm going to change towns, people and people and people. I'm not dead. I'm alive. Thank you, God. See? Discouraged? What? Encouraged. He's got hope. He's got courage to go right out and continue what God asked him to do. Now, at the end of this is an interesting verse. Look at Acts 9.31. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, In Samaria, and it became stronger. Look on the overhead, it became stronger as the believers lived in two things the fear of the Lord, and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. It also grew in numbers. Now, the church refers to all the churches Judea, Galilee, Samaria, as well as Jerusalem. The believers had been going out. Remember what Jesus said? Great commission, go into all the world. Well, they've gone to these areas that you right see here. Judea, Galilee, Samaria, and of course, they've already been in Jerusalem. And they're obeying that. And they did that even though there still was some persecution. They were bold enough in the power of the Holy Spirit to just go and share the gospel. So the church was growing spiritually, all of those churches, and it was growing in numerical growth do you know that god wants to encourage us as we come out of all these difficult changes the racial things the crazy virus thing he here is what god wants to do at our campuses in our individual lives i want you to pay very close attention to this see this is a healthy church it's growing spiritually and it's growing in numbers It's a healthy church. Now, how did they do that? Two keys. Two keys. Here it is. Healthy key number one. The believers lived in the fear of the Lord. In the fear of the Lord. Pastor Mark, what is that? Scared of God? No. Here's the fear of the Lord. Look on the overhead. The fear of the Lord is to worship, respect, and love him so much that we desire to obey him. You know what our world has come to? Very little fear of God. They're not interested in God. All over our world, false religions like crazy. Churches that never teach the word of God anymore. They just go against the Bible. Oh, I don't like that thing. Let's just tear that out. What's happened? There's no fear of God. Zero fear of God. They better get their life right. See, fear of God is healthy because it leads us to do one thing. Obey God. He's the one that's ahead of us. That's what the Bible says. Don't just know the word. Obey the word. Well, this is what the church was doing. They were being taught the word, and they obeyed the word. But notice the second healthy key. The believers were enjoying the encouragement, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You see, when spiritual growth is in individual believers, it equates to numerical growth in the church. It's just natural. I remember many times being with Pastor Chuck, who headed up the Calvary chapels for years. Here's what he would like to say. Healthy sheep reproduce. Healthy sheep reproduce. What did he mean by that? Well, when we're obeying God and we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we're encouraged and not discouraged, we share the gospel with people. And when that happens, you'll see more of this as we go through. People come to the Lord. That's what's happened to us. You already know that. God's done amazing things since we've been doing this online. We're getting close to 500 people who have come to Christ. That's not me. That's God. But here's the problem. When you think about this, healthy sheep reproduce, that is an ongoing healthy church. It's not something, well, it's over here. Now we're done with that stuff. No, no. Remember what we told you last week? Convert is stage one. Discipleship is stage two. We have to keep going. Now, I just want to say a big thank you to you. How, do, how are we getting way over 400 people Accepting Jesus Christ. How's that happening? Well, obviously, number one, the Holy Spirit. Number two, the Word of God. But number three, you, because you're inviting people. You've been inviting people to watch the services, the teaching, the worship. You've been inviting that. Let me just encourage you. As we move back into our campuses, keep inviting. Keep inviting. See, it's easier sometimes for a person that is not a believer or doesn't come to church to do it in their own home. But now that they know we're real, we're not weird people, nothing crazy happens, they can just invite them. Come on to church. Join us. Join us. We're going to have it one time. You'll love it. You'll love it because we are family. So I just want to say thank you to all of you because I picture ourselves as we have the fear of God and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we will have and continue a healthy, healthy church. Now, here's a big change. All of a sudden, Luke moves from Saul Saul. And Paul, he moves all the way to Peter. He moves right to Peter for a few chapters. Now, Peter is actively growing in his walk of discipleship because he himself is leaving Jerusalem. And he's going to different areas in Israel and forming new Christian communities. So look at Acts 9, 32 to 33. As Peter traveled about the country, he went "...to visit the saints in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic..." Now think about this. "...who had been ridden for eight... bedridden for eight years." Here's what I wrote. "...Aeneas has been discouraged and hopeless for eight years." You think that would discourage you and me? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We'd need help. We need help. Guess what? God sent Peter to help him. Can you think being bedridden for eight years? Can't get up and dress yourself? Restroom, all those things. Have a hard time maybe even feed yourself. Eight years. Well, understand what Peter's purpose is. Peter's purpose was not only to preach the gospel to the unbelievers that were in these towns, but to teach and encourage the believers. So you're going to see this happen. Obviously, Aeneas is a believer, but he's bedridden. Look at verse 34. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat immediately. Aeneas, Aeneas, got up. He got up. How? How quick? Immediately. Supernatural. Now, that miracle shouldn't surprise us. In many ways, it probably didn't surprise Peter. You know why? Peter is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's being led by the Holy Spirit right to this man. He didn't know this man was in town. But God directed him right to Aeneas. And when that happened, this man needed a touch of God, and God knew it. So he got Peter right in the middle of the situation. Now, notice what Peter says. Jesus heals you. You know, Peter used to be a very prideful man, but he got humbled by God. And that's a picture of humility right there. It's clear to Aeneas who's going to heal him, not Peter. I just going to use him to touch him. It's Jesus is going to heal him. And that miracle would come from Jesus. Now, look at what I wrote. God heals and encourages people through the powerful name of Jesus. By the way, that name is still powerful today. Salvation, healing, encouragement, you name it. There's power in the name of Jesus. Now, because of this healing... Aeneas was discouraged. He probably had thrown the towel in every week for eight years. Man, I can't go on. This is crazy. I got no hope. There's no chance anything's going to change in my life. Now what is he? Peter and Aeneas. What are they? I'll smile for you. They're really encouraged. Now think about that. Um, There's more. Look at verse 35. All those who lived in Lydda... And Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. See, it wasn't just about him. When the people saw that change, they're thinking, if God can change that man physically, he can change me in all kinds of ways. Here's what I wrote. Being a Christ follower is the greatest miracle in a person's life. We love healings, physical healings, but the greatest miracle is spiritual because that lasts through eternity. A physical healing will last for a while, but eventually we're all going to die. You know that, but our spiritual healing lasts through eternity. Now, Peter began teaching about Jesus, and then anyone could find hope, and boy, these people were encouraged, and they accepted Jesus Christ. Now, look at verse 36. In Joppa... There was a disciple named Tabitha, which is when translated Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. So God is directing him to another lady uh, that has a need. He doesn't know what the need is yet. He was real, she was really well-known in the community. She had this ministry of helping poor people, people, especially widows, and she was full of kindness and mercy. Well, look at verse 37. About that time, she became sick and died. And her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Look at verse 38. Lydda, the town of Lydda, was close by So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him. Now see the disciples, they hear this, and they see what's happened to Aeneas. And so they send these to try to get Peter. And they say to him, please come at once. Now remember, a Jewish funeral in those days, as well as still today in those areas, the burial is going to happen the same Exact day. That's true for the Muslims and the Jewish people and all of that. Some number of different religions believe that. So Peter's about 10 miles away and God has opened what? Another door. Now, what do you think he's going to do? He's going to encourage her. Well, how do you encourage a dead person? Well, let me show you what happens. And Tabitha, by the time he gets there, of course, she is dead in the upstairs. Now look verse 39. Peter went with these men that came for him. He didn't know where to go. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and the other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Now you know everybody in that room is discouraged. Everybody. Maybe even Peter. And Peter sent them out of the room. And he got down on his knees and he prayed. Now here again, you see humility of Peter. And Peter knows that only God could do something with this situation. Only God could do it. He can't. So he gets down on his knees and he's praying with faith. God I'm going to take a step of faith. I know nothing's impossible with you, but I'm leaving it to you. Now, Peter had seen the same experience. I won't take time to go there. But Peter had watched Jesus do the very same thing with a, husband, a man who had a daughter, 12-year-old daughter, Jairus, to do the very same thing, to bring her back to life. So he was a disciple that was learning, a lifelong learner. He remembered back, this sounds familiar. This looks familiar to me. And he remembered what Jesus did. That built up faith in his life. Verse 40, turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. Now that would take courage and faith. Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. Because God loves to encourage us, Peter is encouraged. I would say Tabitha is really encouraged. The believers and the widows were also encouraged. Verse 42, this became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Do you see how that continued? The people go, okay, that is impossible. There's no magic here. That had to be God. And so their life says, I need help with God. Now, I just want to say this, and I want you, all of you watching me, I want you to pay attention to this very much. I don't know what situation is in your life. I don't know what has left you discouraged and you feel hopeless. It could be spiritual. It could be physical. It could be emotional. It could be financial. It could be a relationship problem. I really don't know. But I want to tell you that I'm going to challenge you to trust God. So when I'm finished with this teaching, you will leave. And you will be absolutely moved from discouragement to being encouraged. Let me give you some ideas. Maybe your marriage needs God's healing. Maybe there's a physical need that you have that the doctors say, won't happen. Maybe you have a work situation. You're going to be laid off. Or you've already been laid off. And you don't know whether that's ever going to happen again. Where are you going to find a job? And you're, you're thinking hopeless. Maybe you have a financial need. And you're wondering, how in the world are we going to pay our bills? How are we going to continue? I don't have a job. Maybe you have a son or a daughter who used to follow you. But with all these changes, they've just given up. And they've walked away from God. Maybe you are single. And you've been looking for a godly spouse for a long time. And you don't seem to ever find somebody that matches what the Bible says to do. Well, I'm going to give you a couple truths. And you may want to write them down, at least the passage I'll tell you. Here's what we told you at the beginning. God loves to encourage us with his word. With his word. When I'm in his word, I'm thinking Just like Jesus. Remember, this Bible is the mind of God. And discouragement comes from wrong thinking. What Satan wants to lie to us. Sometimes ourselves. you'll see this. Look at Psalms 43.5. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? Here's the solution. I will put... My hope in God. Now, this isn't where somebody's going to come over and go, let me shake you up here. Come on, let me shake you up. No, this is you reading that verse saying, okay, I have to put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Go back, look at your history. God has always come through for us. Maybe not exactly like we want it, but he's always come through for us. He loves to encourage us, so that sometimes I don't need somebody else to pray for me. I just seem to say to myself, "Balmer, be encouraged. God loves you. God is for you. He's not against you. Now remember, that comes with positive biblical thinking. Don't throw in the towel. put your hope in God and His promises. Now look at Isaiah 41:10. I have it on the overhead for you. Isaiah 41:10. Don't be afraid, for I'm with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Now, God never lies. He always keeps his promises. So sometimes I might have to use that, as I'm doing tonight, to encourage other people. Here's a verse. You can just meditate on that. Meditate on that verse. Just do it. Now, think about that. Be encouraged because nothing is impossible with God. So I'm just going to tell you a really quick prayer, and then I'm going to go and talk about people that need to get saved tonight. If you believe what we just read, the verses that encourage us how God comes in all different ways, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you throwing down the towel. I don't want you to be discouraged any longer. I want you to do this. Put the towel around you and let's work in the courage of God and let's change our kingdom, our nation to come back to God. Let's go to work. You've been going to work. Let's invite people. May you be encouraged tonight. May you leave this service different than you came. You say, well, Pastor Mark, how long will that last? I don't know. But you just go back to the same principles. You saw the roller coaster tonight. That's where our lives are. What did Jesus say? In this world, you're going to have trouble, but relax. I've overcome. I've defeated it. Father, I just pray right now, quickly, for all the believers that are listening to me, to take that towel and put it around our neck and do some work. As Jesus said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. Maybe we have courage to share the gospel in a loving way when you open doors. Maybe we have courage to go to another believer and we sense that they're hurting and just say, come on, let's sit down and talk about it. God is ready to take you out of that discouragement And bring hope back into your life. And thank you, Lord, that your word is true. And exactly what you want us to do is be men and women that are following you with a mind on the word of God. In our eyes on the one that has said this to us. He who begins a good work in you. He, God, will finish it. Put the towel to work around you. And let's change our world for Jesus. Now, there's some of you tonight that I want to talk to. You, basically, are watching. And you say, wow, that's pretty amazing what I just read, what you just taught us. But but I, I want my life to be changed. Well, I want to say to you, I can assure you that God wants it. Because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Here's how God will change you. I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment, and it will be a prayer that will include this, repenting of your sins, and then just putting your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. And the only person that can change you is not me. It's not anybody else. Only God can change you, and he changes you through Jesus. He's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. So I'm going to pray with you. And remember one thing. Jesus died for you. He died for the whole world. But just think about you. You can have a brand new beginning tonight. All your sins forgiven. And a guarantee of heaven. And when this service is through, you will maybe for quite a while be encouraged and filled with hope. Also, Remember I talked about a son or daughter may have used to follow God but walked away? Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you used to follow God but somehow got detoured on the wrong way. It's time for you to make a change by making a recommitment. Just say to God, I'm sorry. I want to follow you, God. Now remember, nothing is impossible with God. Well, because Satan will always say to you, well, you used to follow God but you failed there. You failed there, don't even listen to him. He's a liar. God loves new beginnings. He's full of grace, and he's full of mercy. So when I pray this prayer, you pray with me. Now, here's how it works. Look on the overhead. Romans 10, 9, Paul wrote this. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. Now, remember, believe is an action word that produces obedience. Once God does this, we begin to obey God through the word of God, and your life will continue to change to be more and more like Jesus. Now, if you want your sins forgiven, and you want to know that you're going to spend an eternity, and you know that at the end of the service, if you pray this prayer, you will leave absolutely with encouragement and hope in your heart. Just bow your head right now and pray this prayer Quietly to yourself. Here we go. Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. And I know. I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins. And I turn from my sins. And I choose. To follow you. As my savior and my Lord. Come in and change my life. Thank you for loving me thank you for giving me forgiving all of my sins today I receive your gift of salvation and I'm looking forward to a brand new start the guarantee of heaven and to be able to live with security purpose and hope thank you for saving me